Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So my uh, one degree or two degrees or three degrees of separation conversation today um, is is ongoing. And so can people, can others tell that you've already been with Jesus? And so oftentimes I start with a question, you know, where in the word are you today? Um, today I'm going to give a little twist on that. And, uh, and the question is, you know, can people tell you've been with Jesus? Right? Have you been so infected, right, possessed of him? and affected by him, that when you move into the world, people can tell you've been with Jesus. And so maybe one uh, jumping off point of conversation for this would be in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, where Peter and John um, uh, have been seized, uh, they've been thrown in jail, and they've now been brought out before the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law in Jerusalem, before the high priest, um, before Caiaphas, before um, other members of the high priestly family, they have been brought into this uh, essential. I mean, it's a court of sorts, right? And um, and these men begin to question them: by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, here they're talking about uh, this miraculous healing that occurred that literally no one can deny. Um, they proclaimed the name of Jesus, and this man uh, was healed. And so by what power or by what name did you do this? And and picking up at verse 8, Acts chapter 4, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Uh, Peter is quoting um, what you and I would consider Old Testament scripture, but would be scripture to the, the audience to whom he is speaking. Salvation is found in no one else, Peter continues, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And um, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And that's when they took note. These men had been with Jesus. What effect does being with Jesus have on us? What effect does being with Jesus have on us? We're going to have lots of conversations in the culture about how many degrees of separation there are between us and a person infected with the coronavirus. That is going to be a topic of conversation where you live. Um, if you have a child who goes to school with a child and that child's parent is now self-quarantined because they traveled on an airplane with a person who is now known to have had the coronavirus, you are one, two, three, four, five, six degrees of separation away from the uh, verified infected individual. And yet it may have a very real impact on your life if your school closes, right? Even for, you know, a couple of days to be totally sanitized, 
Um, So how many degrees of separation are you from Jesus? Because let me tell you, you want the answer to that question to be one-on-one. You want that answer to question, you want the answer to the question to be, there are no degrees of separation between me and Jesus. In fact, I am actively right now inviting the Holy Spirit to work within me in such a way that I am more and more and more conformed to the image of Christ. More and more like Jesus. There's less difference between me and Jesus um, than there was yesterday. Now, the only way to make that happen, the only way to well, make that happen, that's the wrong language. The Holy Spirit is going to do the work, but you and I have to willingly and actively submit to that work of the Holy Spirit within us. And we need to engage in the things that bring us into proximity with Jesus. And so that's prayer. That's the study of Scripture. That's worship. That's fellowship with other believers. It's accountable relationships in Christ, spiritual disciplines, all kinds of those uh, those things. All right, so so let me just uh, ask the question again. How many degrees of separation are there between you and Jesus? The ultimate answer to that question needs to be none. There, there is no separation between me and Jesus. I am, um, I am passionately engaged in him. In him, I live and move and find my being. I abide in him, and he abides in me. Uh, all right, so I've got uh, Justin Gibney actually waiting right now in the wings from the AND campaign. He and I are going to talk about, um, well, co- coronavirus and vulnerable communities, some things that I'm betting some of us have not thought about yet. I'm also going to ask him... Um, about personal sacrifice and uh, and on behalf of another person. Uh, and that's a story from the WNBA and a player named Maya Moore. Um, yeah, I got all kinds of conversations for Justin this morning. We'll be right back. So Justin Gibney from the Ann campaign is uh, getting out of his car and walking to his office. So we're going to give him a minute to get there uh, before we try to break into his day. Um, let me let me start by sharing with you a little bit about um, what I know about something going on with a player in the WNBA. And her name is Maya Moore. Um, and Maya Moore actually um, took took time off from her um, WNBA career. She took a whole season off in order to help overturn um, the conviction of a man in Missouri who um, is wrongfully accused. So there's this Missouri inmate whose appeal um, is a 50-year sentence for burglary and assault. Um, and and so what does it look like? I mean, this is really here's the question that I want to ask. What, what would it look like to be so convinced of a justice issue that you would um, you would actually suspend your own uh, career, advantages that you were achieving for yourself, that you would actually make this kind of sacrifice on behalf of another person um, in, in terms of a justice issue. I think here about like David Eubanks, from the Free Burma Rangers, who we featured here on the show. Just think about the the ways in which um, David and his family have set aside every other thing that they might do for the cause of justice. I mean, they're making these personal sacrifices on behalf of other people who cannot do for themselves 
um, what what David and his team and through his through access to uh, to other resources are able to do. So what Maya Moore has done in setting aside um, her personal advantages and making this this personal sacrifice on behalf of an issue related to justice, on behalf of a person who cannot do for himself what she can do for him. I just think this is a very provocative question in terms of what we are willing to personally sacrifice um, in terms of the justice of another person. Justin Gibney is here from the AND campaign. Justin, hopefully you heard a little bit of my setup there to this Maya Moore story. Um, uh, welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me. Uh, Maya is a friend and a champion. Okay, talk with us about, tell us, uh, give us some more of this story, because I have literally just literally scratched the surface. Yeah, well, what I know of it, and I, I don't want to speak for her, but what I know of it is that um, she basically just got a a really big passion for injustice uh, to make sure that people uh, who were in bad positions that she, you know, that she had a chance to do more about it, and, and in doing that, felt that she needed to step away from the sport for a while to really focus on justice. Um, and as you see, she's she's had a victory, and and I mean, it's something she's very focused on. She's um, been at some of the and campaign events, and I, she's working with us on the low income housing uh, issues. She's just someone who who just got a passion for for justice and and moved with it. So I'm just going to read this one sentence from um, this is a New York Times article. It says Moore, a WNBA star, said she wanted to translate social justice talk into action, and now she's on a sabbatical this season trying to help free a man she believes was wrongfully convicted. This is a guy who's been behind bars for the last 23 years in a maximum security prison um, from which he was released um, after months of review. Uh, he's, so this just happened yesterday. I mean, this is a pretty significant step forward. Um, and, and so, you know, I, as a person, Justin, who works in this sort of area of conversation all the time, in the area of the question of justice and whether or not justice is um, applied in an equitable manner um, in this country, um, how how does this kind of advocacy by an individual who's so high profile and so successful, her setting aside her career, even for a period of time, to put justice language into action like i don't know what is that how does that encourage you what does that say to you oh it's huge and i think you know glory be to god it just shows that when god calls you to do something he can t- he'll take you out of any situation i mean she's one of, she's if not the best player definitely one of the the best players in a long time so for god to call her to to do something more justice oriented just shows us that you know it should be an example for all of us to say hey when god calls you to do something you do it uh, and and it, it'll reap fruit, um, and just to, to have faith and just to trust in what God is calling you you to do. Because I think there are a lot of people out there who who are feeling a call, whether it's justice or something or some other calling that they have, and are maybe a little bit afraid. Uh, but but I think it shows all of us just to follow the call that God has uh, placed on you. So uh, for those of you in Minnesota, you know uh, Maya Moore because she is the star of the Minnesota Lynx. Um, I'm. I'm touched by the fact, Justin, that um, or I, I take note of the fact, maybe it's a better, better word there. Um, so she could have been wearing any T-shirt on the day that she knew The New York Times was coming to, you know, take pictures of her speaking um, on this topic to a group of young people. Um, and the T-shirt that she chose to wear is Micah 6-8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Um, 
I, I do think that there are some very quiet ways that people who are social justice warriors like Maya Moore can walk their faith out as a part of this conversation in ways that's just not right up in people's faces um, negatively, but in people's faces positively. Yeah, well, it's, it's about the work, right? So, it, you know, I think one, one thing that she's showing is she did the work of justice, the work that is, is part of what we learn in, in, in the gospel and certainly learn all through the Old Testament. She did the work and kind of let that speak for her. And then by wearing that shirt, I think she kind of ties the two together. But she was doing the work, which is which speaks to, to who she serves anyway. Uh, so I think I think it's awesome. I love how she does. She's one of the most humble. In fact, the first two or three times I met her, I didn't even know who she was at all. Like she didn't mention it. She didn't she didn't walk around like a peacock or any of that stuff. She is the most humble person has really humbled me. And I'm just proud of uh, all that she's doing. Yeah, I just love it. I want people to uh, check out. Uh, if you just Google Maya, Maya Moore, this is what's going to come up right now. She would probably prefer that I actually have you um, Google the name of Jonathan Irons. She would probably prefer that this be his story, not hers. Um, but his story would not be what it is were it not for her. Uh, Justin and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the complexity of the issues um, before us politically. And then I'm also going to ask you, Justin, um, to just help us wander around in um, in how the coronavirus is going to affect or is affecting the most vulnerable in our communities and maybe some things that people with, with advantages and resources don't often think about. Um, and so we're going to have that conversation up next. Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. We'll be right back. This is Mornings with Carmen. Unfortunately, we're having a technical glitch. Hopefully, Carmen will be back in just a few moments. But uh, as we continue our conversation with Justin Gibney, who's been on the line. Justin, again, thanks for joining us. And Carmen set up your question uh, before the break, asking you, with the coronavirus, things we can do to help out those that um, may be more prone to suffer from it, especially those who don't have the means. Yeah, no, absolutely. We always have to be thinking about those who are uh, less fortunate when we have crises, because any crises, especially when it's a whether it's the economy or it's dealing with an infectious disease, those are the people who get hit worse. Um, and so, for instance, people who aren't feeling well, who, who you know, are of a low socioeconomic status, a lot of those folks feel like they can't miss work and that if they miss work, their entire life starts to fall apart. Right. So you miss work. And, you you know, your housing is now unstable. Your transportation is now unstable. Um, the issues that you have to take care of with your kids. And so we have to make sure whenever there's a crisis that there are people who are somewhat on a, a low socioeconomic status who are really going to kind of uh, suffer through that. And so I think we, we, number one, check on people. I think even within our church family, people in our uh, people in our city to make sure that we're going the extra mile for people um in those tough situations, especially when it comes to a crisis. I mean, something else we have to think about, uh, Paul, is the fact that uh, when these crises hit and the economy goes bad, it's the it's the poor people who suffer. They're also the ones, if you take Florida, uh, for instance, you know, when the cruise industry and things like that go down, the travel industry, those jobs, which aren't necessarily a, a lot of high-paying jobs, but the jobs that kind of keep people afloat, those are in jeopardy. Uh, so these are all things that we have to consider when uh, when we're dealing with a crisis like this and also health care. 
You know, um, how people are people getting the care that they need? Are they able to uh, to get get to a doctor to get, you know, get the checkup that they need? So these are all things that we have to consider as we, you know, go through these crises. And I think too often the poor are kind of an afterthought, but they're really some of the folks who are hit the hardest in, in these situations. OK, Carmen is back with us right now. <laughs> Sorry, the power went out briefly where I am. Thank you, gentlemen, for carrying on. No problem. Um, Justin, as as we were thinking through this around the dinner table last night and the prospect of, okay, well, if the school closes um, or what are the options for people who need to go pick up an elderly person um, and bring them to their home for care because of a situation at a, you know, at a at an elder care um, facility Um do people have paid sick leave in order to do that if they rely on public transportation? How does all of this affect them if public transportation is shut down? Um, events, let's say, at the convention center, that would be another thing um, where, you know, we're just seeing lots of cancellations related to these kinds of things. And you say, well, that's to protect the people who would be coming. But it also means that the people who work in those places um, won't won't be going to work because there won't be people there to serve. And so right. um, I, I do think that um, for for us to just be mindful and to be thinking about the way this impact has a rolling impact in people's lives, um, and not everybody can go to the grocery store um, or to the big box store and load up on three or four hundred dollars worth of resources. For most people, that is beyond what they can do in terms of preparing to self-quarantine for two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and again, like I said, that shouldn't be an afterthought. In a way, it should be one of our first thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. How, how are we, you know, the elderly that are in these situations that don't have family? You know, how can the church step up and say, okay, we're in a crisis. We are worried about ourselves, too. But as Christians, we can never just be worried about ourselves. I think you and I have already talked about kind of the politics of self-interest, but that goes into all our social, cultural and political interactions. We cannot just be self-interested. We have to think of others. And I mean, even what you see with the economy, uh, these are things that are going to affect what what, um, some folks call the unprotected class the most. A lot of us have a little buffer between us and kind of serious disaster, but there are many Americans who don't. Justin, thank you, as always, for um, helping us see what sometimes is just beyond the edge of what we're looking at. Um, Really appreciate it. You guys can check out what Justin is doing at the AND campaign. We'll be right back. Okay, so how is the uh, coronavirus impacting people in Europe? Um, And then also sort of... How is Europe different today than um, than it was when you visited maybe when you were in high school or college or as a young adult? Um, I'll, I'll admit to you, Europe is not a place where I have spent um, a whole lot of time. Uh, I, I have been to Europe on a couple of occasions, but I have not traveled widely in Europe. And when we use the term Europe, what do we even mean today? Um, does that include what we have just historically thought of as Western Europe? Or does it include Central European countries, Eastern European countries? Do people even think of themselves that way anymore? Um, What's the reality of the church, the Christian church, and sort of how is God replanting the gospel in all of those places? I know you want to know the answers to all those questions. So do I. So up next, church planter, missiologist, who's in Spain, is going to be with us up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
So what are you doing in the middle of the summer? I know, I know. You're thinking to yourself, uh, nobody's making travel plans right now. You know, I feel very confident that by July 24 and 25, all of this will be settled out. And you'll be looking for something to do, an opportunity to get together with other people and share some ideas and some stories. You might have a story to tell by then that you want to put down on paper and get out to other people. So that is those are the dates, July 24 and 25 of the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. I want to invite you personally to come and join me Uh, new in 2020. We got all kinds of pre-conference sessions as well. Um, and so go ahead and visit NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com and register to join me at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, July 24 and 25, on the campus of the University of Northwestern, St. Paul. John 1 and verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is Max Locato. Let's begin where the earthly ministry of Jesus began, in the womb of Mary. The God of the universe, for a time, kicked against the wall of that womb. He was born in the poverty of a peasant, spent his first night in the feed trough of a cow. He didn't have to, did he? Jesus could have become a voice, a voice in the air. He he could have become a message, a message in the night. He could have become a light, a light in the night. But he became flesh. Why? Jesus came to be near you. And any concerns you might have about his power and love were removed from the discussion the moment he became flesh and entered the world. What a beginning. What an entrance. And what a moment. This is Max Licato. Joining me now, Jim Memory. Um, Lots of things I could tell you about Jim. He is a church planter. He is a missiologist. He is a lecturer of European mission at Redcliffe College. Uh, He also leads the vision and strategy group of the European Christian Mission. He's a member of the organizing committee of the Lausanne Europe 2020 gathering, and he is with us, joining us today from Spain. Jim, thanks for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Buenos dias. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Buenos dias. Como esta? <laughs> Muy bien, but we won't carry on in Spanish. That's probably going to leave well, some people out. That's good because I've now exhausted, completely exhausted my entire vocabulary. So that's good. That's good. Um, although it's probably afternoon where you are. So it would have been uh, 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 a buenas tardes. That's right. We do have our lunch a bit later here. So uh, it's still morning. Nice. Okay. All right. So you you live and you labor in Europe. Um, maybe give us a sense. Uh, most of our listeners are either in the United States or at least in uh, in North America. Give us a little bit of a sense of uh, what is happening in relationship to the coronavirus and the impact that it's having maybe on the church and everyday life. Yeah. Well, uh, Europe is an incredibly diverse uh, continent, we've got such uh, an incredible diversity, but every single country in Europe is now facing the same challenge. Uh, and in very short uh, time, uh, we are learning a whole new way of, of living and being. Um, even uh, you ask about the churches, even down to the level of how we greet each other. As uh, you probably know, here in Spain, people are very 
effusive in their greetings, very demonstrative, lots of uh, kissing and embracing. And yet on Sunday, uh, I saw people knocking elbows with each other. And um, I've heard just in the last few days of many of the churches having to be very creative, thinking about doing their services virtually uh, because they couldn't uh, gather their people together. Um, obviously, all the protocols around washing of hands and so on. And uh, unfortunately, it's also led to the cancelling of some very significant events. Um, we were due to have the Global Congress of the Assemblies of God here in, uh, in Spain, in Madrid, uh, just these next few days, and that's been completely cancelled. Um, so that was 5,000 people from around the world coming in for that. And I belong to a, a mission agency called ECM and our own biennial conference, which was going to be in Croatia uh, in three weeks' time. That's also been cancelled. So it's turned life upside down. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of fear uh, but for many people. But I think this is a moment when, uh, as the church, we really do need to uh, demonstrate that our confidence is placed somewhere else than in uh, the things of this world. Oh, certainly. Um, when... When we say Europe, and actually your answer to the question just sort of illuminated that I should have just specifically spe said, what are you experiencing in Spain and even in the part specific part of Spain you're in? Um, we have a tendency to speak in, a, in very large comprehensive terms that are often inaccurate. And so when I use the term Europe today, um, how is that understood in different parts of Europe um, by different people groups in Europe. Um, I mean, maybe one way to ask this question is what or who is Europe and who is European? <laughs> wow, that's a big question. Um, well, Europe, uh, for many people, uh, is uh, seen from the outside, uh, is a continent <clears throat> which has a, a common history and... Uh, uh, a story which in many ways is connected to the story of Christianity. But when you come and see Europe uh, from living here, you will see an, an incredible diversity and uh, very, very different engagement with uh, Christianity as well. Um, in many places, you will go to big cities and find um, the huge cathedrals and uh, historical remnants of Christianity, but you will find people are just as secular as they are in many other parts uh, of the world. Um, but in reality, it is Europe's Christian uh, story, which has been rejected by many, but at the same time is being recovered, thanks in many ways to the new people that have come into Europe in the last uh, 50 years. Um, many of those from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, with a very vibrant Christian faith. And uh, they have uh, woken up the churches of Europe in some cases to, uh, the, to God once again. Um, and uh, it's exciting to see those churches, uh, the churches that have been planted by uh, uh, people from other parts of the world, coming alongside leaders from uh, European countries and working together. And that's very much what the Lausanne Conference is trying to do. Okay, so we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I want you to tell people what Lausanne is um, and then what the Lausanne Conference uh, is as well. And then you have really just illuminated something that many, many people will not have considered. 
and that is that there is an awakening, a, a potential great awakening happening um, across Europe because of new immigrants and refugees who have come into um, nations where, frankly, the gospel has been kind of dormant for uh, for a few generations. And so I want to talk about both of those uh, topics when we come back. And, and, you know, I think they're related. So I've got Jim Memory here. You can um, you can find him online at evangelicalfocus.com. Uh, he is a church planter and missiologist uh, currently serving in Spain. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Jim Memory, you can uh, you can most easily find him at ecmi.org. If you go to ecmi.org and you use a little search function to find Jim Memory, uh, his page will come up and you can learn much more about uh, who he is and what he's doing um, as a church planter in Spain and a mobilizer of really the next generation of Christians. Jim, let's uh, let's return to our conversation Um when you when you think about the people whom God has brought into Europe in the last generation, um, how has that been sort of a reinfusion of the gospel or a re-evangelization of of a place that we really think of as um, uh, as the place from which the gospel advanced to the rest of the world? Yeah, well, it's it's slightly um, difficult for us to get our heads around um, to think that the the first continent that was evangelized uh, also became uh, the first continent to be de-Christianized. Um, what's happening right now, though, is it's being re-Christianized again. So we've gone from being Christianized to de-Christianized to being re-Christianized. And um, it's not only the uh, the churches that are that are being planted by folk from beyond Europe. Um, I think there's a new generation of European church planters uh, rising up as well. And uh, it's incredible what's happening in some countries. Um, In France, they would say that there is a church being planted every 10 days. And in the case of Spain, it's it's around about every five or six days. So uh, it is not the dark continent that many people sometimes think it is. And um, what I think these uh, new generations of church planters from beyond Europe bring is an incredible confidence in God. Um, they believe that God has brought them here and he's not just brought them here for work purposes or to flee persecution. He, he's brought them here to reach out to Europeans. And um, whilst we tend to think that uh, most of the migration into Europe is of Muslims, actually a very significant proportion of it is actually uh, Christians from, as I've already said, Latin America, Africa, and Asia. And it's incredible. Uh, even in our city here of Cordoba, uh, a young Chinese migrant has set up a food a food bank um, and is reaching out and putting breakfast on every day for uh, people from Spain. Um, and think that that's happening in, uh, in a small place in Spain is just amazing. Most of the news that we hear... Um, is not the news that you just shared with us in terms of what is happening um, between or in relationships um, between uh, new immigrants and 
and people who have uh, historically lived in Europe. What we are hearing is growing polarization. What we are hearing is rising tides of nationalism, um, even anti-Semitism. Um, talk, talk with us about um, the relationship between populist movements, nationalist movements, and um, you know, and the integration, the very real integration of people from different places who now populate much of Europe. Yeah, I mean, nationalism is a, uh, a rising challenge. Uh, I think around the world, um, we seem to have gone from being very internationalist and thinking that globalization would eventually extend <clears throat> uh, liberal democracy to every country um, to, to really turning inwards. And um, I think there are many manifestations of that, not just in, uh, in Europe. But, um, you know, you can look at Brexit, you can look at uh, the way that certain countries have responded to the refugee crisis as well. Um, I think some of that is is also birthed out of in the same place as the, the paranoia around coronavirus. It's it's about fear. Um, and we we suddenly realize that we don't control things as much as we think um, that uh, technology and education and money don't solve all the problems. Um, we, we've come to terms with what uh, we know very well from Psalm 103, that our lives, um, you know, we're just like the grass and the flowers of the field, that uh, the wind blows over it or coronavirus or nationalism blows over it and the place remembers it no more. Um, we don't have as much control over our lives as we think we do. And I think with um, with nationalism, that's a reaction to that la la loss of control from many people. And that's why it's so vital, both in both the, the nationalist challenge, but also in this coronavirus situation, to, to have our eyes firmly fixed on the one who is in control uh, of the universe. And as Christians, we have an opportunity in both of those situations to really make a difference in the way that we live. Um, as I've been saying quite frequently in the last few days, with respect to the coronavirus, the words you know, knowing a little bit of Spanish, that corona is the Spanish word for crown. And rather than uh, being in fear of coronavirus, we need to make sure that our fear and our confidence is placed in the one who does wear the crown, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who is in control of life and he's the one that can make a difference in the midst of these situations. All right, I just wrote that down because I'm stealing that later today, I'm sure. Um, Jim, <laughs> talk with us talk with us about Luzon and talk with us about the Luzon uh, Europe 2020 event. Yeah, well, the Luzon movement was started in 1974. Um, it began with Billy Graham and with John Stott. And the first uh, global evangelization conference that was held in the Swiss city of Lausanne, and since then it's uh, given its name to the movement. Today, it is very much about um, the connecting up of people that are uh, influencers, and not just the ones on, you know, uh, Instagram, but people that are of influence around the world for global mission. And uh, three years ago, we began to dream about the possibility of holding a, a, a gathering here in Europe that would see 800 selected uh, leaders from uh, churches, from workplace professionals, uh, diaspora backgrounds, women and men, young and old, come together 
to wrestle with what it means to be uh, answering the challenge of Europe today. And so that's where the, the title uh, of Dynamic Gospel New Europe come, came from. We have a, a new European reality, but we have a gospel that's definitely dynamic enough to be able to respond to that challenge. And um, my particular responsibility is in what we're calling the conversation, which is an attempt to multiply up the impact of the conference from just 800 attendees, 800 delegates. If each of those people are able to engage 12 others, we will have 10,000 leaders engaged. And so uh, what we're trying to do with this is to, in the months leading up to and immediately following the gathering in October, Lord willing, coronavirus uh, permitting, uh, then uh, we will have 10,000 people engaged in this conversation around it. So over these months, we're wrestling with articles that are challenging us to think about mission in Europe, to think about discipleship, about mobilization for mission, uh, to wrestle with scripture. We're going to be looking at uh, Philippians together over these months. And of course, to pray for Europe. Uh, every month that we get together. So I had my first gathering just last week and it was amazing to see how that worked and how in, in, engaged everyone was. Jim Memory, um, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to encourage people to go to Luzon, L-A-U-S-A-N-N-E dot org for more information um, about the Dynamic Gospel New Europe event. So you can be praying for Jim as he uh, multiplies up that conversation um, and then also, we just want to encourage encourage folks to be supporting Jim in his ministry um, through through acts of prayer. Like, let's be let's be praying for Jim and Christine. Thank you, Jim. We appreciate uh, you being here so much. You guys can find Jim at ecmi.org. We'll be right back. All right, we got a fast wrap here, um, and that's just to say, you know, can people tell you've been with Jesus this morning? And if you haven't been with Jesus yet, go get some time with Jesus before you get out there into the world that he so loves. We want to be the Jesus people out there in the world today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.